Well, I am uh, delighted to be here today with you to share more about what God has been revealing to us out of the book of Romans. Uh, There is no question that what we have engaged in is a very large, meaty portion of Scripture. Uh, If you remember at one of the first introductory messages to this emphasis on Romans chapter 6 through 8, the doctrine of sanctification, we called it the locus classicus of of this discussion over sanctification. There is no place else in Scripture where the uh, doctrine of sanctification is more um, outlined and highlighted. Now, it's not an exhaustive treatment of the doctrine of sanctification. There are lots of other passages and other epistles and other books of the Bible that talk about it. Uh, 1 Peter is one that talks a lot about it. Uh, But as far as in a whole, uh, in relation to justification, this doctrine is brought out most, probably, here in Romans chapter 6 through 8. And we've plodded along and and we've taken our journey in Romans 6 and and we've come to this understanding that Our old man is dead in Christ. Why do we still sin then? Why are so many of us, in fact all of us, beset by sins frequently, if you will, in our daily life? It seems as though the more we desire to become godly in Christ, the more we want to be close to Jesus, it just seems the more we seem to not Make the mark. The more we fail, the more we sin, even. And I'm going to show you today, and I think Romans chapter 7, as it's often been used as a, sometimes, oftentimes, it's been used as a woe is me uh, pericope. Uh, We're going to see that it's actually one of the greatest portions of Scripture in our sanctification that shows just how wonderful and victorious God has made us in Christ. So, I think I've adequately described this, the great struggle within, but we can't leave it there. And the great victory bestowed, because it is one that is applied, whether you feel it or not. If you're in Jesus, you have an assured victory, assured victory. As I do every Sunday, I read this problem that we have in the American Evangelical Church. Uh, the church in America that claims to be of Christ, but seems as though, and in a growing percentage, denies that very Christ. The problem is a failure of 21st century Western Christians to understand and apply the doctrine of sanctification to personal holiness in their everyday lives. The result is a weak and lethargic church with no power, no passion, and an ever-increasing conformity to the world around them. That is not God's will for the church. never has been. And so we have sought to try to find out why that problem is so pervasive that it is in today. And I think one of them is what we covered the last time I preached to you, the lie of the two natures in a believer. Passively given, uh, and I would say very actively taught in many churches. I don't think by any means in a nefarious way. But here's the lie. 
Everyone has within them two dogs. The one that barks the loudest is the one you feed the most. There's a good dog and there's a bad dog. And the one you feed the most is the one who has the most control. The problem is that in Romans and Colossians and Ephesians, that is completely uh, dismissed as, as hogwash, actually. And so the old nature, as Romans chapter 6 des- describes, is dead. And I think I showed you last time from the uh, Greek tenses of the verbs and their active uh, aorist tense that the old man is dead. He ain't coming back. Nor do you have a, 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 a disattached limb from the old man tangled in your shoelaces to drag it along. But it still begs the question, where does the sin come from? And the honest true answer is, it comes from you and me. We, ha- we are a new creation in Christ, to be sure. But we still have a singular nature, a sin nature. But we have a new resident. That's, that's a game changer. So we'll go and develop this. Just to go over the fact that uh, to, to bring us up to speed with Scripture, Romans 6 says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. For we died, we were set free. I mean, that's what we see there in Romans 6. In Colossians it says, you died, again, and hidden, your life is hidden with Christ and God. And, and it says, you've put off the old man, the old Nature, which I'm going to define terms here in a minute, but let's just get the scriptures down. But we've put on the new man. So, whoa, 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 whoa. there's an old man and there's a new man. And this new man, notice, is being renewed in knowledge day by day. And then it says that you, in Ephesians, that you've put off concerning your former conduct the old man. So we all see that old man is now related to actions shown in conduct, attitudes, that grows deceitful, or that grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. And then, and then Ephesians admonishes us to be renewed in the spirit of our mind and to put on the new man. Notice it says, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And I think right there we get a little confused maybe. Kim and I have been talking about this through the week. And his, this is a real head scratcher. Because Romans chapter 7. I would have to say is probably the most hotly debated passage of scripture. Among theologians. And before I get into the text. John Murray writes. The believer is a new man. A new creation. But he is a new man not yet made perfect. Sin dwells in him still. And he still commits sin. He is necessarily the subject of progressive renewal. He needs to be transfigured into the image of the Lord from glory to glory. And this renewing happens. What does the Bible say? Day by day. So if you're truly a Christian. If you're truly born again. 
If truly the Spirit of God dwells in you, then you do have an upward trajectory of growing conformity to the image of Jesus because living things grow. And we've talked about the egregious position that tries to explain away unbelief in a professed believer that professes Christ with their lips, but in their, in their lives, in their actions, in their words, they deny Him for great periods of time, if not their life. And, and, and we come in and we search for a solution. How can they do that? And First John simply says that clearly we're not in Him. So, what is the old man? Let's just answer that. What is meant in this vernacular? The old man is a typology, a picture, a symbol, used to describe the life a believer in Christ led before his regeneration. It's who you were if you're in Jesus here, and you're here today. It's who you were before Jesus. You were content and fine to party, to to, to sin, to, uh, to sleep around, to drink a lot, to, to get all the money you could, to lie or cheat or steal or, 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 or be proud and, and relish in your abilities or whatever it is. You were fine. Yes, you, had a con- you have a conscience. Well, sure, certainly. You had whatever your parents may have taught you that it's wrong to steal or lie. But hey, if they're not looking, it's all right. I mean, at least that's what the politicians used to say. Now they don't care if you look at all. Okay? It's, it's who you were in your natural bent for, for corruption before Jesus. It encompasses all the natural affections and carnal motivations of our fallen nature that are hostile to God. It is the intrinsic state of our soul being dead and enslaved in sin. Now that's a key word. The old man was a slave to sin. And I got to tell you, slavery bids the slave no rights. No prerogative, just slavery. Now on the other hand, the new man is a typology used to describe the life a believer in Christ has after his regeneration. It encompasses all the godly spiritual affections and pure motivations, transforming us into the image of Christ. So there's a new creation in us, a new compulsion within us, a new desire within us to go towards Jesus. We stumble along, we plod along, we stub our spiritual toes, and we hit ourselves on the spiritual head, and we hit our thumbs with the spiritual hammer. Okay, it happens, but we're still going towards Jesus because we can't help it because that which is in us is born of God. It, it desires God. It wants God. And we are going towards God because it's free to go towards God now. And it's compelled to do so because it's born of Jesus Christ. So you can... You can see then the foolishness of trying to make excuses for belief in someone who professes to be a Christian, but in their very life denied that very existence. 
living things grow. I, it's vegetable season, okay? And I just want to tell you, there's a lot of vegetables ready to harvest. There's a lot of sweet corn from my patch right out there. Please take some. Please take it all, okay? Peaches and creams, goods just picked yesterday. I have a, a place in my garden, one of my gardens. I have more than one. I have a problem. But anyway, um, it, it, it got a little too close to the ground sterilant. <clears throat> but the plants are so persistent, they're trying so hard. The little seeds sprouted and germinated, grew up about that tall. One of them is a, is a sugar pie pumpkin for pie pumpkin for, for Halloween. I, I like real pumpkin pie. Don't give me an imitation with a butternut squash. Okay? So, if we're going to go to trouble, let it be real. Um, but it, that little old plant just struggled so hard. And I thought, you're just not going to make it. The answer after you, life's against you, it's hot, you're on the windy side of things, and you got poison. It's got this little tiny pumpkin on it. And it kind of makes me want to cry because that's kind of the way I look sometimes in my Christian faith. I'm not very big. I'm not very impressive. But there's, there's fruit there. In spite of all the junk I'm into, in spite of all the mistakes that I make, there's fruit there. You want to know why? Because it's in its very nature to live. Okay. It is completely free in Christ and desires nothing but Christ. I'm going to work through these slides. We're going to hit the text. What is meant by the term nature then? Now we're going to get down into what some would call semantics. And I would call descriptive terms, Randy. Descriptive. Nowhere. In the New Testament, does it say we are given a new nature? If, notice it's in green and real big. If. Everyone caught the if, right? If what is meant by new nature is meant perfect nature. You're not given a new perfect nature. You're a partaker of the divine nature for certain. It illustrates back to John in the vine, in John 14, I am the vine, you are the branches. If, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So the vine, the, the vine is, or the, the branch is attached to the vine, drawing on the sap, coursing through that vine. It's attached. But the vine is the one that supplies it. So if what we mean by new nature is meant perfect nature, we don't get a second perfect nature because, well, if we did... What would we need of the Spirit? The NLT, though, translates Colossians chapter 3, verse 10 as, put on your new nature. So someone would say, see, it does. <laughs> the New King James, the King James, render it man, put on the new man. While the ESV, the NASB, and the NIV say, Self, put on the new self. And the contemporary English version says, person, put on the new person. All these versions, whether it be nature, man, self, or person, are derived from the Greek word, naos, which simply means new. 
Now, that's vastly different, I think, than what you and I think of when we think of a nature. I'm to put on a new what? The new creation. I am to be in Christ. I am to be fleshing out Christ. I am to be, instead of in the old man, I'm in the new man because that's my reality. It's new. But my, now, technically, my, my old nature, my sin nature, is still very much sinful. I like what one preacher said. It's very fleshy. My sin nature is fleshy. What does that mean? It means that it likes to overeat. It likes too much bacon. It likes to get angry. It likes to hold grudges. It likes to take offense when it's tired. It likes to raise its ugly head in moments of stress or strain. It likes to do all that. You know why? Because it's in an old body. <laughs> Even my, our fresh little young ones here who have that baby skin. They're growing up and they're growing old. Okay, because I often look at them and I say, oh, you got it going on right now. But there'll be a turn. Okay. (laughs) Okay, there'll be a turn. We live in a corrupted body, a corrupted nature. Our body is corrupt. It's it's it. That's why it looks like it does. Over a period of time, it begins to look a lot worse. Okay. But the Bible says in my inner man. My new man, I am being renewed day by day. I am being transformed into the image of Christ. And, and the good news of how this turns out is, is that upon my, well, when the oven goes off, ding, 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 and my sanct- time of sanctification is over, and I pop out of the oven of grace, I'm going to look just like Jesus. And to boot, because God is so good, He gives us this body back, frame off restoration. All serial numbers match. So, nature is mentioned in the Bible 23 times in the New Testament. The words nature or natural occurs 23 times in the New New Testament. Only twice... Is the word nature used, or only twice is the word nature not used in relation to the natural, fallen, or earthly reality? In other words, 21 times it's used of our natural, earthly, sinful reality. The other two times refer to who God is, His nature. That it should say a lot to us when God, when the Bible uses the actual word nature. If you've ever been told that a Christian, as a Christian, you have a new nature implying perfect nature, you've been misled. We have one nature, a sinful nature. But we do have, and as I said before, a new resident. To, to, to complete and get into the text, our old man has died, Romans 6. Our new man has come. And that's found in all of these verses listed here. The best way to articulate this truth is by saying... I have not been given a new sinless nature, but I have been made a new creation slash man slash self 
because I have been occupied by a new resident. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me and the life that I now live. That's why Galatians 2 is important. I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. So then my new creation is Jesus in me. So now let's read Romans 7, verse 14. And we're going to read through 8, 4, okay? And I think we're going to simplify some of this now. There is a super frustration that you can sense from the pages as Paul is writing. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual. I am carnal, sold under sin. Mm Mm-hmm, sure do. For what I am doing, I do not understand. And what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. And who cannot relate to that? He says, if then I I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. Because the law points out my error. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. What, Paul, are you a schizophrenic or something? What are you doing? Well, let him finish. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do that I practice. He's simply reiterating what he already said. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. We know that sin comes from a sinful source. Okay, our sin nature. He says in verse 21, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. And I would, I would, I would say... Let's think of it more as I find then a a reality. There is a hard reality here. I'm not perfect as I want to be. I'm not sinless like I want to be and hope to be. I still sin and there's this thing in me that still rises up. What is it? Where does it come from? Well, it's not because of your old man. He's dead. And the fact... Well, let me go on. I'm going to get to the thunder here really quick. He says in verse 22, I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Now what? Yes, this is that new resident. This is that new creation born of God. The beauty of it is this. You should rejoice that you can even think that way. A lost Dead man does not think that way. Cannot think that way. Doesn't want to think that way. Is hostile to thinking that way. But because of the very fact that that which is in you is greater than that that was in the world. Because it's born of the very nature of Almighty God. Because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he says this. But there is one who wills to do good. He says, I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. I do, and I do too. I delight in, he says, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity into the law of sin, which is in my members. What, what are my members? It's this stuff. It's this. My eyeballs and my ears and my hands and my feet and my tongue and my appetites and all that kind of stuff. How many of you ever have your back hurt so bad that all you can do is seem like to be in a bad mood. Why should you 
why does it, why if your back hurts so bad, and if you've had back pain, you know what I'm talking about. There's no comfortable place. That it just seems to make you, why isn't it the more your back hurts, the more godly you become? Oh, his back is bad. He's in there praising Jesus. I think the Lord's in there with him. All he can do is quote scripture. It's amazing. It's coming from this well. It's like an artesian well of just joy. The more he hurts, the well, he's going to be in heaven by the end of the night. It doesn't seem to go that way, does it? It says, there's this happening, and he says in verse 24, Oh, wretched man that I am. And that's how I feel too. Sometimes I just, and sometimes, I've got to tell you, I, I do, I, I, sh- I yell. I just yell. God, take it away. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And notice verse 25. I thank God. Through, the, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I may serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. So, on one hand, when I fail, when you fail as a Christian, and you will. Some of you might even fail before you leave here today. Okay? It's not the sin that defines you anymore. It's the grace of God that freed you from that prison cell that does. And don't you dare forget it. Sanctification and the pursuit of sanctification in no way incites us to become moral moral perfectionists. There's actually a term for it theologically. It's called triumphalism. (laughs) Seemed to be an ism for every schism. triumphalism I've arrived I no longer have a sin nature and and we're all sitting here going how do you tell someone they're so proud but if you feel that fight and you're under that burden and you're so put off by your sin rejoice it's a testimony to the new creation of God in you Compelling you on to Jesus. Can you have a bad day? Yep. Can you have a bad week? Yep. Can you be in a bad mood for a few months? Maybe a year. You can. Can you stay that way? No. God is greater than your sin. And it's in your very nature to produce. Even if it's a little tiny sad pumpkin. You will produce fruit. Look at verse, chapter 8, verse 1. That's why Paul can say, after this jubilation, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? You are not condemned by your... You're no longer defined by your sin. It's laid upon the cross. It's on Christ. It's His righteousness in you that makes you justified before God. And your sanctification is being played out as God perfects you into His image. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And that's what our active pursuit of sanctification is. is I don't want to be like that. I want to be like Jesus. So I'm going to go that direction. I'm going to go that way. You know, some days you commit to exercising. Good job. You've committed. Now you just got to get on the treadmill. Okay. Second step in success. You've stepped on the treadmill. 
Third step, actually turn it on. Okay. Fourth step, do it again and again and again. Let it be consistent in your life. Pursuing sanctification is being consistent in our life. And then the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. I'm not bound. Why am I not bound? Because that old man that was bound is dead and gone. I'm free. I'm not defined by failure. God help me to appropriate that blessed truth. Notice verse 3 and 4. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Someone read what's next. God did. Thank you. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's why we have this great struggle within, but we have a greater victory bestowed. I'm going to finish up quick because we've got to pray, but I'm going to talk to you briefly about something called Pelagianism. Somewhere along around eighty three forty to somewhere along around four twenty, okay, way far back. There's a monk named Pelagius, and uh, you, there's no way you're going to read this. It's not for you. It's for me with with these. <laughs> but he was a monk that had become a Christian, and 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 he was so given to moralism. That he was so put off by what he saw with Christians loose living that he had a, I think, a complete knee-jerk reaction to what he called moral perfectionism. And he also lived an ascetic life. He lived alone out in the way. Okay. And at first he did okay. But then he got crossways in his doctrine. And he started attacking Augustine. Or Augustine, however you want to say it. They had different views. I'm going to read to you what Pelagian thought, and then I'm going to tell you why this matters to the sermon. I'm going to probably read the bottom paragraph first. Pelagianism is named after Pelagius, a monk who lived in the late 300s and early 400s. Pelagius began teaching the doctrine associated with his name in an effort to promote holy living among Christians. So he tried to do a good thing, I guess. When people sinned, Pelagius grew weary of hearing the excuse of, I can't help it. It's in my nature to do wrong. This was, of course, the rise of Stoicism and Docetism of the day, stemming from Platonism. To counter that excuse, Pelagius stressed the freedom of the human will, essentially teaching that all sin is the result of a conscious choice of evil over good. Everyone has the ability to freely choose to do good all the time. And since there is no such thing as original sin in Pelagius' view, or an inherited sin nature, then we cannot blame Adam. God created us good, so no one ever has an excuse for sinning. If you are not living a holy life, 
It's because you're not trying hard enough. That's Pelagianism. We often refer to Pelagianism when it comes down to salvation, but on the sanctification side of things, let me say it like this. The Bible does say, God commands, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, how in the name of thunder am I supposed to do that? Jesus, we just read, He did. He did, right? Pelagius would say, no. You're supposed to be holy. God wouldn't have told you to be holy if He didn't think you could do it. Is there a difference? There? Do you find a difference? Do you see the subtlety? You're capable in your free will to be perfect. You just need to try harder. You are capable in your free will that God cannot touch. It is sacred ground. So if you're struggling in your Christian life, it's because you choose to struggle in your Christian life. God's grace to you isn't about giving you unmerited favor. No, to Pelagius, grace was God helping your will be more effective. Now, what do you think about that? What do you think that does to a Christian? What if I were to come to uh, any one of you? I'll, I'll pick on Travis. Travis? And I, I'm going to do this southern style, okay? Son? The reason you're so thick is because you don't try hard enough. I don't know. I think when it comes to your faith, that you could break a ball bearing in a padded room. If you just believed God and would just just will to be good, you would. So stop bellyaching about it and get on with it. And that's what a lot of people believe. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. Do you realize one of the reasons this happens is because sanctification has been separated from justification in an effort to make more converts. Here's how it went. Pelagius, Arminius, You're going to like this stretch. Charles Finney, 1850s. Now, there's a lot of history there I know you don't understand. But I would say this. Even though Pelagianism as a doctrine was condemned, it still exists. And I think the reason it exists is because it's innate to our nature. In our sin nature. Because we all say, they're so lazy they wouldn't butter their own bread. But they're not too lazy to try to perfect themselves before God. It is in sin's nature. In the human. In the human. To try to commend themselves to God. That's what Pelagianism actually ended up being. And it's still with us today. So I want to encourage you with something. If you're in Jesus. Stop trying. In the sense of earning your keep. And earning his favor. And start resting in what he's provided. By existing in that which he supplies. The Holy Spirit of God is in you. To comfort you. 
and to compel you towards Christ. The reason that you have a Savior in the first place is because you're a sinner. One of the things that Augustine used to pray was, God, you commanded me to keep your commands. Now give me the strength to do so. And that irritated Pelagius to no end. He couldn't stand it. One was going to commend himself to God in his own strength. The other one was going to come to God for God's strength. Which one do you want? Because what Paul has wrote here is, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. To be saved, to be born again, is to be given a new resident that completely dominates that sin nature. It's it's worse than whack-a-mole. When something pops up, God begins to slam hammers down. And the more you're conformed to Jesus, the more you're conformed to Jesus, the more sin you're going to see in yourself. It's a blessed gift to say, you're alive and you're growing. Praise God for that.